Well, good morning and welcome to Rock Hills. If it's your first time here or whether you've been here many times, we are glad that you are here with us. And obviously, as you heard from Heather, we're a little bit excited about what God is doing here. At the same time, I can't help but uh, be a little bit reflective of all that God has done in this place over the years. And so I hope for those of you who've been coming here for a while that you'll do the same too. Maybe just take some time over these next couple of weeks and thank God for what he's done in your life here and your family uh, as he's connected you to the Lord. We're continuing in our series, Hit Singles, looking at some of the tiny little books in the Bible that although they're small, they carry a lot of weight, just like a hit single that we may have just heard one time, but it just sticks in your head and has a lot of meat to it. Today, we're looking at a book in the Old Testament called Obadiah. It's an easy one to overlook, and uh, it's just fun to say, I think, Obadiah. You can go ahead and practice that under your breath if you want, but it's one of these books in the Old Testament. We don't know a lot about this guy. He's one of the minor prophets, and by minor, I always thought that that meant he was like, you know, on the B team or whatever. It just means that his prophecy was shorter. So his is the shortest book in the Old Testament. We don't know a lot about this guy. We know his name, Obadiah, fun to say. We know he's a prophet, but we do know why he wrote. He is writing to Israel, who is God's people, and Israel has been decimated. It's not just an Old Testament wartime kind of thing. Israel is living under God's discipline. If you'll think back, if you're familiar with the Bible, Israel was led out of the promised land. They worshiped the Lord. God says, I am your God. You are my people. Here's how you should live. If you live this way, you're under my blessing. If you don't live this way, you might just destroy yourselves with the way that you're living because I will allow consequences to come your way. We have to do that as parents sometimes, right? We just have to tell our kids, you're going to have to face the consequences. And that's kind of what this was. In a sense, it was an Old Testament timeout. We see it over and over again in, in the Old Testament as these Israelites, God's people, they were called on to live under God's blessing and God did the most miraculous things in their lives and yet at the same time, then they would forget about God and God would say, all right, I'm going to remove my blessing from you. So at this point in time, God's going to send this prophet, Obadiah, and he's going to give the Israelites and another group of people two messages here. It's a two-part message. First of all, he tells the people of Israel this. God has not forgotten you. Circumstances may make you feel like he's forgotten you. Your feelings may tell you God is nowhere to be found. But the truth is, God has not forgotten you. And when this time of discipline in your life is over, he is going to restore everything that he has created you to be. He is going to restore every promise fulfilled. The second part of this message is to a group of people called the Edomites. And the Edomites, this is the message. You think you're on top right now, but the judgment of God is coming. And you're going to have to answer for the way that you've been living. So I want you to keep this in perspective. These are not just stories in the Bible. These were real historical events that happened to real people. Now, this was not written to you and I. It was written to the Israelites and to the Edomites. But it is written for you and I. 
It's almost like we get to look over the Israelites' shoulders as we look through this book and learn from their mistakes so that we don't, in turn, make the same mistakes. So a little background here. The Edomites, they're the bad guys in this story. They're the distant cousins of the Israelites. If we rewind further in the Old Testament, all the way back to Abraham, God says to Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. In other words, your lineage is going to become the people of God. The Messiah himself will come from you. And I'm going to give you this land. God promises Abraham and his wife Sarah that they're going to have a child. As a matter of fact, they end up having two sons. The first son is Ishmael. If you're familiar with this story at all, you know Abraham and Sarah kind of take things into their own hands. God promised them a child. It's not happening. It's not happening. It's not happening. And they're getting older. And they finally realize, well, we need to help God out. So Sarah talks to Abraham and says, hey, you know, you've got the maid over there. How about we work out a little arrangement and she can bear you a child? Never a good idea, guys. Okay. They work out this arrangement and Ishmael is born. But that wasn't God's plan. They just decided they needed to help God out a little bit. Eventually, God gives them their promised son and that is Isaac. So they have two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Isaac will go on and also have two sons, Esau and Jacob. They're twins. Jacob is the second born. Jacob is a schemer. And the firstborn is supposed to get the big birthright. Jacob schemes his way, trades some food on a day that Esau's hungry to get the birthright and ends up, again, helping God out to get what he wanted. So here's the importance of this. From Esau's lineage come the Edomites. Those are the Edomites. Esau is their ancestor, their fatherly ancestor. These are God's chosen people. So you have this this lineage that has come from Abraham, but one wasn't under God's blessing. That was the Edomites. One was under God's blessing. That is the Israelites. Eventually, the Israelites end up getting enslaved in Egypt, right? Moses, let my people go, and all the plagues, you may remember that. Eventually, Moses frees them. They're freed from slavery, and they're on their way to the promised land. But as they're on their way to the promised land, they have to pass through the land that is occupied by, guess who? The Edomites. And they're conquering people. As they go, God is like clearing a path for them through the jungle to the promised land, right? And as they get to the Edomites, God says, don't touch those people. Because even though it was born out of a a situation that I did not bless, those are still your people, those Edomites. Don't touch them. So the Israelites honor that and say, hey, we will not touch the Edomites. But the Edomites, on the other hand, they're not playing by the same set of rules the Edomites say, no, 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 you can't pass through here. We will not allow you to pass through here to go to the promised land. So here we are now, centuries later, by the time we catch up to Obadiah. By this time, the Israelites have been able to move back into God's blessing. And again, they've forgotten God and forgotten to honor God. And eventually, the Israelites are overtaken by 
the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And so as this happens, the Edomites sit back and watch this whole thing, right? They're watching the Israelites, their distant cousins, get, getting overtaken. They don't lift a finger to help. As a matter of fact, not only do they not help, but as they're getting overtaken, they take the opportunity to go in and just loot the Israelites of everything, right? They're thinking, okay, you guys are out there in battle, getting your tails kicked. We're going to show up and we're going to go raid your house. We're going to raid your fields. We're going to take everything that you have, take it back to our place and live high on the hog. So this is the Edomites. This is the situation that we find ourselves in as we get to the book of Obadiah. The Edomites, when life was going good, they become arrogant and self-sufficient. When the Edomites find themselves needy, they become indifferent. When the Edomites are weak, they become greedy. The Bible has concepts and laws all throughout it that are just principles that apply to our lives. The book of Obadiah describes one of these very clearly. And it's this, the law of the harvest. It's simple. We get it, right? What you sow, you're going to end up reaping. What you do today is going to play a huge part in what your tomorrow looks like. The way that you're living now is going to determine what God's role and presence and power in your life may look like in the future. Whether we're talking about later today, tomorrow, 10 years from now, the end of your life. That's what we see in the book of Obadiah. So let's take a look at this. We're going to go through most of the book here, not all of it, but it won't take you long at all to read through it this week. Obadiah, verse 1, it's just one chapter. This is the vision that the sovereign Lord revealed to Obadiah concerning the land of Edom. We have heard a great message from the Lord that an ambassador was sent to the nations to say, get ready, everyone. Let's assemble our armies and attack Edom. He goes on in verse 2, And the Lord says to Edom, I will cut you down to size among the nations. You will be greatly despised. You have been deceived by your own pride because you live in a rock fortress and make your home high in the mountains. Who can ever reach us way up here, you ask boastfully. But even if you soar as high as the eagles and build your nest among the stars, I will bring you crashing down, says the Lord. This is something you never want to hear God say to you, okay? Uh, this is the reason why the Edomites feel so secure and confident in themselves. They live in a place called Petra. We've got a couple of pictures of it. This is the entrance to Petra. You've got to go through this narrow walkway and these mountains that are just made of solid rock, right? And so you go through this area of the mountain, and then you get to Petra. We've got, this still stands today, by the way, but you go through there, and then you see how they have built themselves into this rock natural fortress. This is where the Edomites lived. So they had total confidence in their security system, right? They were pretty boastful in that, but God says in the next several verses, he's going to say, you're going to be utterly destroyed. Every nook and cranny, everything that you own, everything that you possess, it is going to be wiped out. Verse 10, because of the violence you did to your close relatives, Israel, 
in Israel, you will be filled with shame and destroyed forever. When they were invaded, you stood aloof, refusing to help them. Foreigners, inva- foreign invaders carried off their wealth and cast lots to divide up Jerusalem, but you acted like one of Israel's enemies. You should not have gloated when they were exiled to your relatives to distant lands. You should not have rejoiced when the people of Judah suffered such misfortune. You should not have spoken arrogantly in that time, in that terrible time of trouble. You should not have plundered the land of Israel when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have gloated over their destruction when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have seized their wealth when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads killing those who tried to escape. You should not have captured the survivors and handed them over in their terrible time of trouble. So this is a bad deal, right? Verse 15. The day is near when I, the Lord, will judge all godless nations. As you have done to Israel, so it will be done to you. All of your evil deeds will fall back on your heads. Just as you swallowed up my people in the holy mountains, so you and the surrounding nations will swallow the punishment I pour out on you. Yes, all the nations will drink and stagger and disappear from history. But Jerusalem will become a refuge to those who escape. It will be a holy place And the people of Israel will come back to reclaim their inheritance. The people of Israel will be a raging fire and Edom a field of dry stubble. The descendants of Joseph will be a flame roaring across the field, devouring everything. There will be no survivors in Edom. I, the Lord, have spoken. All right, this is a tough book, right? Obadiah. I mean, when we think of this, this isn't necessarily the warm, fuzzy, loving version of God that we think of. This is the just version of God who has said, this is how I've asked you to live. And if you don't live this way, you have to face the consequences. And now they are facing those consequences. The Israelites still exist today. Edomites don't exist anymore just like it says here. It's now a place that you can go take a tour, which looks pretty cool. I would like to see it sometime. But the people, they don't exist anymore. The Edomites have been wiped out. So why would God include this short little one-hit wonder from Obadiah, right? I mean, we don't like judgment and we don't like consequences, really, at least if we're on the receiving end. We don't like to be judged, and we don't like to have to own up to our own consequences. Now, we do like it when it's the other way around, right? When somebody's done us wrong, and they have to pay for what they have done, we tend to like that. But that's really the whole point. Throughout Scripture, God highlights this principle, the law of the harvest. What you plant, you will reap. We will always eventually get what we give. And we serve a God who is full of mercy and grace. And the good news is that God can clean up every mess that we have created, but it still doesn't change the fact that we have planted a harvest that is coming forth. And unless we cry out to God, 
for his mercy and his grace, we will face the harvest of everything that we've planted. As a matter of fact, we see this all throughout Scripture. Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2. Many of you know Matthew 7, 1, whether you knew it or not. Do not judge or you too will be judged. A lot of times we like to quote this to say, hey, you can't say anything about what I'm doing. Right? I can live however I want to live. If you're a Christian, don't judge me. Right? This really isn't so much talking about judgment as it is the harvest. What you give, you're going to get back because all through Scripture, God says we judge things by their fruit. We need to have wisdom and discernment and understand if things are right and wrong. In the Scripture, you really have to read verse 2 to understand the context of verse 1 there because in verse 2, he goes on to say, for, by, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged and the measure you use will be measured to you. In other words... Everything that we do, the way that we live, we're saying, God, would you judge me like I judge this person? God, would you treat me like the way I treat these people? God, would you in turn be unto me as I am unto them? It's the seeds that we plant. And we understand this in the big picture, right? Okay, I want to be a good person so people will be good back to me. But I'm asking you to look today, not at the big picture, but the seeds, the small seeds that we plant because it's the tiny seeds that produce the great harvest, right? It's the little things that we do every day, the way that we think, the way that we talk, the way that we treat other people, the way that we spend our time, the way that we spend our money, everything that God has put in our hands. How are we using that to God's glory? Parents, you may notice this. Right? I mean, you're raising kids at whatever stage they may be in, and all of a sudden one day you're shocked when you see the behavior of your kids and you realize, oh my goodness. I mean, even in our house, sometimes, you know, I see the things my boys do and I'm like, oh my goodness, they're acting just like their mother. I can't, not really. <laughs> no, but the things that we do, honestly, I've seen my own kids go, oh, that sounded just like me. I say that, don't I? without even realizing that I say it, and they're doing the very things that I do. Our kids will say to us, you show me the behavior, I'll figure out the boundaries, right? They'll learn the behavior from you, and then they'll set their own boundaries as to how they're going to act those out. All through the Bible, it talks about the sins of the father being passed down to the children and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren. We pass those things on. Good seeds will produce a good harvest. The hard part is that harvest doesn't come overnight. We're trying to do things right, right? We want to honor God, but it doesn't mean that when we walk out of these doors, everything in our life is all of a sudden, poof, better. Sunshine and rainbows, right? That whole timetable thing can be kind of hard. That was a problem with Abraham and Sarah. Here's God's promise but they eventually get tired of waiting for God's promise. The timetable thing can be pretty difficult. Some of the mistakes we can make while we are waiting is we think delayed consequences mean no consequences, right? I mean, you got away with it. It's not like God struck you down for doing it, so do it again, right? And we think, well, God must be all right with it because nothing's happened, Delayed consequences don't mean that there are no consequences. The things that we have planted will come back 
in our harvest. We can also make the mistake of thinking a delayed reward is, a no, is no reward. It's easy to get frustrated when we're waiting on God. Right? Okay, God, we're starting a new year. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to start giving at church. They're moving into a new building. I'll, I'll give some money towards that too. And then I'm going to start praying with my wife. You know, all these things that are great things. And you can turn around and go, things have even gotten worse in my life. Right? I mean, we can look at our lives and go, this is difficult. Why am, I, why am I doing this? I mean, I've gone to church for three weeks in a row and I still have problems. Just because the, con- the, the reward has not come yet does not mean that God's promise is not on the way. As a matter of fact, most of your life is going to happen between the plant and the harvest. Most of your life exists in that waiting period in between. Galatians 6, 9 says... So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. So as we look at Obadiah, it's a mirror that we're holding up to ourselves. It's a harsh story about the judgment of God, but it's a mirror that we hold up to ourselves to say, God, am I planting the right things in my life. 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 says all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. In other words, the book of Obadiah is in scripture to show us where we are planting the wrong seeds so that we can ask God for his mercy and we can plant the right seeds in our lives, in our community here in San Antonio, in our family. And the good news is that God redeems. God can draw straight lines with crooked sticks because we're all a bunch of messed up people that need God's mercy. So what we can learn from the Edomites, especially, and the Israelites here, Three questions I want us to ask about what are we planting in our lives. Number one, when we experience success, how do we respond? In Obadiah 3, it says, you have, de- you have been deceived by your own pride because you live in this rock fortress. We can either respond the way the Edomites did with pride, or we can respond in humility. When we experience success... In the big things or the small things, we have seeds to plant. Will we respond with pride or humility? Now, pride is not being aware that you're good at something. I hope that you all realize the things that God has gifted you at and you're good at. Pride is when we look down on others and put our own interests and desires ahead of other people. It's thinking that you are better or more important because of who you are or what you've accomplished. That is pride. And it's an easy thing to do in life because we've earned things. We've worked hard for things to look down on other people. That's pride. And the law of the harvest says that when we sow pride, God will oppose it, that he will pull that down within our lives. Humility, on the other hand, is treating others as if they are more 
important than you. Remember when Jesus washed the disciples' feet? He lowered himself to the lowest position saying, you are the most important. Philippians chapter 2 says this, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others, be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Therefore, God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name above all names. The law of the harvest says God will pull down the prideful and God will lift up the humble. In verse 10 and 11 in Obadiah, says that while others were being mistreated, you stood aloof. So the second question we have here is that when you come across those in need, do you plant indifference or compassion? If we are indifferent to the needs of others, we should expect the same thing from God. When we are in need, we should expect that God is going to be indifferent to what we need. Proverbs 21.13 says this, those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. Indifference is choosing to ignore those in need, and it's easy to rationalize. Compassion, on the other hand, is choosing to help those that God puts in your path. Now, I understand we need to have wisdom and boundaries in our lives. It doesn't mean that you give to every cause. It doesn't mean that, that you're trying to rescue every person but it's having an awareness of who God puts in your path so that you can have compassion in the places and the times that God asks you to do that. So are we show, sowing indifference or compassion? Obadiah in verse 13 says, The Edomites saw the Israelites in a vulnerable place and they seized their wealth. When it comes to, when we come across weakness, do we sow greed or generosity. Greed is like drinking salt water to quench your thirst. You never have enough. You just need more and more and more. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, those who love money never have enough. Those who love wealth can never be satisfied. It's not wrong to want a raise, to be at a better place in life, but where it goes astray is when that becomes the motivation of our life. When that's all we can pursue, when we think ultimately that that will satisfy us. When we sow a harvest of greed, it will destroy our families. It will destroy relationships. Proverbs 15, 27 says, greed brings grief to the whole family. In contrast, generosity is when I am quick to share what I have. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25 says, Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper, and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, I don't have this one on the screen, says, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. The book of Obadiah is in the Bible to remind us that what we sow, we are going to reap. God is there to remind us that when we sow humility and compassion and generosity, that God is opening up the doors for him to move 
in our lives. So I want you to ask yourself in reflection, what seeds are you planting in your life that your children will repeat, that those around you will repeat? We plant those seeds and we will reap the harvest. I can't help but uh, think just as we've started this whole process going into the building, how I said, God, I realize this is going to be a stretch for all of us. And just speaking personally in our own family, we said, God, we want to allow you to stretch us. And um, we even thought of what we wanted to give financially to the church. And uh, I thought, okay, I'll round it up. And I talked about that with Tiffany. And she said, well, let's round it up even more. said, okay, that's scary, but let's do it. And uh, even in that, we have seen just as we have planted how God has brought the harvest. You you heard Heather's testimony up here, just how this has been 12 years of people giving and serving faithfully, how there's harvest coming from that. So God, in our own lives and in our own stories, what are we planting? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you, you are the redeemer of all things. Because, Father, every one of us have planted some weeds in our lives. And God, that's where we say we need your grace and your mercy. Lord, would you correct us? Lord, would you convict us where we need to be changed? Lord, that we might not make the mistakes of the Edomites and live arrogantly and selfishly. Lord, that we might not make the mistakes of the Israelites and forget your goodness. But Father, may we be aware of your presence and your mercy. May we walk humbly before you. Father, you've put a great field of harvest before us. Father, give us the opportunity to sow good seeds in our family, at our jobs, and in the community. Lord, we just say that we need you. Would you take just a moment and in your own words, would you just ask God to help you? It's the God of the harvest. It's the law of the harvest. Would you allow him to speak to you today? Father, I thank you that you hear our prayers and you continue to hear our prayers throughout this week. Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus, that any one of us in this room today who needs to know you, that needs the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, who needs a clean slate, Lord, that we can have that today by the blood of Christ. Lord, we just cry out to you and say that we need you. We want to be your sons and daughters and we want to live that way, Lord. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.